Love Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm Marie Hewitt, and I hope you're having a great Sunday so far. I am so pleased you've joined us for this week's edition of the Pet Place. Our first guest this morning is an addictions therapist who uses horses to help her patients heal. Mickey Troxell specializes in women's issues, and I can't wait to hear about her unique counseling methods. Anne, have you ever noticed how women usually end up with all the responsibilities of having family pets? Well, the dog talk diva, Camilla Gray Nelson, will be offering some great advice for women dealing with this very issue. All this and more are coming right up, so stay tuned to the Pet Place Radio Show here on AM 1260. Listening to the Pet Place Radio Show here on AM 1260. I'm Marie Hewa, and right now I am very happy to welcome to the show Mickey Troxel from Pegasus. Hi, Mickey. Hi, Marie. How are you? I am doing very well, and I'm delighted that you're here. And I can tell by the name of your organization that you do something that involves horses. I sure do. <laughs> <laughs> and what would that be? I do equine-assisted psychotherapy. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, that's kind of a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> it sure is. So what is that? I yeah, tell you. what is that? Yeah, well, uh, equine-assisted psychotherapy is essentially that. It's psychotherapy with the assistance of horses. And, and these are all horses who clearly have their master's degree in therapy. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize there were schools for that. Yeah. Yeah. The true therapist is actually the horse. Okay. It's, it's uh, used for mental health purposes, uh, for co-occurring disorders, either for uh, substance abuse or for individuals suffering from depression mm-hmm. or even uh, bipolar or any other type of things. You can even use it for grief and loss. Oh, okay. Uh, a variety of things such as ADD, uh, even PTSD. Uh, We use it for veterans uh, as well, coming back from war. Wonderful. And is it because people have a connection that they can make with animals that they can't make with people where they can just relax and and just let everything go with animals? Uh, Absolutely. It's definitely non-threatening as opposed to when you're uh, maybe doing conventional therapy Uh, In the office, it can be a little more intimidating when you have a therapist telling you this is the issue that you need to work on and this is how you do it. Mm -hmm. As opposed to being out there with the horses, uh, it's uh, very relaxing, uh, you know, and non-threatening, and it's more about nonverbal communication. Okay. Are they out there riding the horses or are they caring for the horses or just hanging out with them, a little of all of this? Well, it can be a little bit of all. Uh, In fact, the majority of EAP, equine-assisted psychotherapy, is done on the ground, about 90%, but 10% is done on uh, the horse. Okay. Yeah. And what, step me through this. Let's say somebody's coming in with uh, substance abuse problem. What would their average session be like? 
Well, their average session, uh, first of all, they would do what was called like a pre-process or an orientation about what equine therapy is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would go over safety because safety is first, okay. and then we would go over some nonverbal cues. Uh, they would learn a lot about nonverbal communication that would help them with their session. Can you tell me a little bit of what that means? Uh, nonverbal cues and nonverbal uh, zones. Uh, for instance, we would talk about uh, confrontation and where confrontation is done, which is usually done in what's called the stop zone, mm-hmm. uh, which is in the front of the horse. And for us, it's also in front of us. And we talk about how to relieve that pressure, which is in a pivotal zone, which is simply a pivot uh, that we do. Uh, We talk about the relationship zone, which is next to the horse's neck and shoulder area, which is shoulder-to-shoulder with us. Uh, We talk about the motivational zone, which is uh, the last half of the horse, and with us, which is a little bit behind the shoulder. Mm -hmm. We talk about too much pressure. Uh, Too much pressure is painful, and that's when our defense mechanisms come up. And we do some experiential exercises to show when, in fact, uh, too much pressure comes up and what that feels like. Okay. So you've explained this, and I still feel thoroughly confused. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, For instance, let's uh, do something like a catch, halter, and connect, which would be something like an assessment exercise that we would do maybe for someone's first session. Mm -hmm. Uh, We would ask somebody to go out and catch, halter, and connect with the horse, And are your horses fairly comfortable doing this, or do you have some horses that are real easy and some horses that are a little more difficult that you intentionally put with the different patients who are at different levels? Well, the horses that we use are all certified therapy horses. Okay. Uh, In fact, I'm the founder of the Certified Therapy Horse Association, so all the horses go through a rigorous training program of desensitization to improve uh, public safety as well as humane treatment of the horses. That's good to know. Uh, but every, all these horses are very intuitive and they also work with each client very differently. So it would depend on what the client's needs are and sometimes the gift that they give, maybe the client has um, uh, some sort of issues such as fear of rejection or fear of disapproval. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe the horse will stand there and have a solid foundation and have their feet very planted and uh, allow uh, the client to struggle and, uh, and stay very steady while they're doing that process. Uh, other times, uh, maybe in fact, uh, the horse may walk away and make it very difficult uh, for the client to do that. Okay. So it just depends on uh, what the client's needs are. Okay. Sounds like it might be a little frustrating sometimes if you have a horse who won't cooperate at all. Well, anything and everything that uh, interferes with a person's happiness and long-term recovery process can, in fact, manifest itself to its full intensity while they're out there. Mm -hmm. In fact, the way that it works is that you have two professionals. You have a horse professional as well as a therapist And what the horse professional is doing is they're looking at how the horse is interacting and responding to uh, the client, and you have the therapist that's looking at how the client is interacting and responding to the horse, and all of that's nonverbal communication. And we ask them thought-stimulating questions of things that interfere with their personal happiness and long-term recovery. So it's a lot different than conventional therapy because it's theirs. 
they decide what they want to work on. You mentioned that you have a pretty wide range of uh, situations that you deal with in therapy. Is there also a wide range of ages that you uh, help with, I mean, as far as your your clients go? I I do. Uh, I can work with youngsters uh, probably as as young as uh, four, and I have worked with individuals as old as 70. Oh. And, of course, I'm sure I could work with someone that's even older. It would just depend on their mobility. Okay. And I bet you probably have some pretty interesting stories about how EAP has helped some of your clients. Can you share one of these stories, maybe (laughs) one of your near and dear to your heart type of stories? I sure can. Uh, In fact, I had a young lady that uh, was struggling with being assertive, and uh, she was so passive and was struggling with learning how to be assertive and was in somewhat denial about being assertive. When was she, she being bullied? Well, when she was, when she, she was, there were times when she would set boundaries or attempt to set boundaries. People would walk on her mm-hmm. at times. Okay. And so, she, and she was uh, probably uh, 18, 19 years old. And when she was assertive, she felt that she was being aggressive. Ah, okay. (laughs) And so I had an exercise with her where she would take and do a lunging exercise, but it was without the lunge line. And a lunging exercise means that she's making a small circle and the horse is making a very large circle around her. Mm -hmm. And the objective was to get the horse to go in one direction and to let us know when she was done. And so while she was attempting to do this exercise, uh, Boo, one of the first certified therapy horses in the nation, uh-huh. was just looking at her, and she was looking back at, at Boo, and she was being so passive that Boo walked into the middle of the round pen oh, no. and just laid down, and not oh. only laid down, but went to sleep. Oh, and no. emphasized that she was sleeping, and I've never heard this since, and I don't even know if horses do this, but she snored. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So the client at this point really realized that she was being very passive, that mm-hmm. she wasn't being assertive, and she definitely was not being aggressive. And uh, she was really able to start learning the balance between being assertive and being uh, and being from being passive. So it well, was, Boo was a remarkable teacher, isn't she? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I understand you also work with at-risk youth, and I know that it's wonderful to get kids working with animals, whether they're dogs and cats or horses, because when they can care for something else other than themselves, it it really does something special and turns them around and puts them on a positive path. How do you work with at-risk youth? Well, I work with at-risk youth a couple of times a week, actually, at a facility uh, in Orange called Newport Academy. And uh, they struggle with a variety of issues, whether it's chemical dependency, or, or some other co-occurring disorder, mm-hmm. and it's such a joy uh, to be able to have an opportunity to do that. One of the horses that we use out there was actually uh, abused uh, physically and um, uh, abused as well as emotionally neglected. And probably some of those kids have been in that same boat, so they could yes, totally they relate. Yes, they have. 
and uh, some of the exercises uh, and connections and stuff that happen out there is is just tremendous. That's beautiful. And you work with veterans also. You talked about post-traumatic stress disorder. How does that work with our veterans? Well, when it, as far as like with veterans, there's, a matter of fact, some on-the-horse exercises. Uh, one of the exercises that we do that's on-the-horse is called the emergency dismount. And this brings up um, a lot of different things, especially fears. And fears, obviously, is a, is a primary uh, uh, concern, especially when it comes to post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, this seems to be a very powerful exercise when it comes to, uh, uh, to veterans. Being on the horse uh, can also not only be comforting, but it can also bring about uh, uh, fears of feeling like things are going to be impossible, uh, especially with the way that they get on the horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not getting on with a stepping uh with a step block in order to get on. They're actually giving a leg up from the ground up, uh, and sometimes that can seem impossible, especially when they have someone small giving them a leg up. It sure. looks like it's going to be impossible. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that they get off the horse, uh, when of course, when they're on the horse, it's without a saddle or a bridle or anything like that. It's with them becoming one with the horse. Uh, when they're getting off the horse, uh, they're holding on to the horse's neck and sliding off the horse, and that can bring about fears as well. Sure. That uh, makes sense to me. <laughs> I'd even be a little nervous. <laughs> yeah. And, wow. and so they do that a couple of times, uh, and then they'll also do it on the opposite side, which is not the side that uh, people are usually getting uh, used to getting up on the horse. Okay. But so, your horses are totally tolerant of this. Completely tolerant of that. Okay. And it brings up several things, uh, such as, you know, doing facing a fear once and facing it a second time. Mm-hmm. Things can become easier each time that you do something. So it's almost like desensitization therapy for them as well. Wonderful. Vicki, I know you have a website out there, but let's give it for our listeners so that they can take a peek and see what you're doing, and maybe some of our listeners might have been inquire about getting services for yeah. themselves or family. It is uh, www. PegasusECT.com. Wonderful. Mickey, thank you so much for stopping by today. This has been absolutely fascinating, and I can tell that a lot of listeners are probably benefiting uh, from your work. Well, maybe not our listeners, but listeners soon to be (laughs) benefiting from your work. We do have to take a quick break now, but we'll be back in just a moment with more Pet Place Radio here on AM 1260. Welcome back to the Pet Place Radio Show. Joining me now is Camilla Gray Nelson who is also known as the Dog Talk Diva. Welcome to the Pet Place. Thanks, Marie. Pleasure to be here. Okay, Dog Talk Diva. you got to tell me, where did that come from? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I must admit I labeled myself, but... <laughs> As a dog trainer, we always want things our way. Oh. So that's perfect for a diva, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. And I do it in dog talk. Oh. So there you go. Okay. So you're a dog trainer. And I understand that you specialize in dog training for women. That's not saying that women are dogs. <laughs> I do specialize in that. And, okay. and it may sound strange okay. as a, when you first hear that. Mm-hmm. 
because, but it's not strange at all because women, as women, start off with their dog with one strike against them. What do you because, mean by that? Because dogs in their culture always have a male leader, and they're expecting a male leader. Really? Yes. Very the dog pack, the top dog in a real dog pack, a, a large enough dog pack, is always a male. Oh. And so when a woman who is given responsibility for the family dog in three out of four households, by the way, yeah, um, I know, I know, tries to control their dog, the dog from the get-go says, well, wait a minute, <laughs> why should I obey you? Oh. And the answer to that dog question, therein lies the secret of either controlling your dog effectively or not. Okay, okay. And how did you come up with this? Have you had any kind of special training, or did you discover it on your own? What's your background? Let's go there first. Well, I am a farm girl. I was I was uh, born and raised right here in a little town called Petaluma, which is about an hour north of San Francisco. Okay. Um, my father was a dairyman here, and I grew up in the country with animals as my friends. <laughs> I always tell people uh, it was high school before I had a two-legged friend. <laughs> and so, you know, if you want to get along with your friends and navigate in that animal world, you really have to understand them, how they operate, how they think, how they behave. Mm-hmm. I grew up with animals, not pets, okay. and that is an important distinction. Okay, so you um, really understand them. I really do. I feel I really do. And then I've been a dog trainer for over 22 years, and certain patterns emerge, you know, after that period of time and tens mm-hmm. of thousands of I dogs and clients. So. And typically I found that my clients were women, no surprise, mm-hmm. and typically they had issues with their dogs not taking them seriously. And it didn't take long to figure out why that was happening based on what I knew about animal culture and what animals will respect or not in terms of leadership, following, etc. Well, how do you change that cycle? If that's what an animal is going to expect, you're obviously not going to be able to change a woman into a man in most oh, cases. Oh, but that's true. <laughs> but there are many other aspects of leadership besides size and strength. Size and strength certainly is one. But the other aspects are quiet focus, um, unwavering um, determination to Mm -hmm. to have your way, but most importantly, not losing your cool. Okay. Most importantly, not losing your cool. Because in the animal world... Like a banshee is not a good thing. Well, no, in the animal world... The leaders are the quiet animals. That makes sense. Not not the bullies and not the blowhards. Mm-hmm. Nature seeks harmony, not chaos. And an animal will reveal its weakness when it overcompensates with aggression, but overcompensates with bullying behavior, not unlike the schoolyard and the bullies on the schoolyard. Oh, We're all animals at our core. And so teaching men and women to control their emotions Stay calm. My, my favorite phrase is, my serenity is my power. Mm, and once you understand the natural world and how power and influence is dealt in the natural world, it doesn't take long to make those parallels between your personal life and the life of your dog. Ah, outstanding. And that's really where the pearl is, right there. Definitely. 
as you go about and you teach people your philosophies and people embrace them, what are the most common complaints women have about their dogs and, and how do you deal that, with them using these philosophies? Well, the, the general complaint, the catch-all complaint is my dog doesn't listen to me. Okay. <laughs> my husband doesn't listen. The kids don't listen. The dog doesn't listen. Uh-huh. And so when we start getting down to the basics of don't get mad, just get control, okay. and the specifics of how to do that, then everything starts coming into place. There's there's several really important things that women can do with their dog right away that quickly starts conveying a natural message of power. Number one is dogs jump on each other, not just in a greeting ritual, but in a ranking ritual as well. Okay. Meaning the dog that allows himself to be jumped on is the subordinate dog in that partnership. That makes sense. If you allow your dog to jump on you, you, in the dog's eyes, can be taken as subordinate. So a simple act of disallowing the jumping, whether mm-hmm. it's with a squirt bottle or an air air blaster or a penny can, I don't care what it is, but just disallow the dog from doing that while maintaining this calm, almost serene and sweet exterior, mm-hmm. that is powerful to the dog. The other thing is when you walk your dog, between two dogs, the dog that seizes the lead and keeps the lead for whatever reason that he wants it, mm-hmm. is, the, is the lead dog. I mean, literally and figuratively, he's the lead dog, well, the sure, top dog. Because so, he also feels like he has to be the one that's protecting everybody who's behind him, too. So he has to, whether he wants to or not, claim that position of top dog. And if you allow him to claim it, he becomes top dog, and with it come all kinds of duties of the job of top dog, many of which people don't want their dogs to do. And I imagine that would be stressful for a dog, too, who may or may not want all those responsibilities. So it might come as even a relief if you take that position away. It it, it does, and that's a really insightful thing that you just said right there. Um, most of my consultations, by the way, are leash aggression. Hmm. Leash aggression based in fear. Okay. And when people get their dog back slightly behind their knee, mm-hmm. keep that dog there, the dog, it's interesting, 80% of the leash aggression issues go away. Yeah. And I think it's because the dog in front that's not, that's not cut out to be a leader, mm-hmm. But it's it's there out of out of just nobody else is claiming it, so he's uh-huh. able to do it. The pressure is too much. He feels extra vulnerable, and that's why he goes into aggressive mode. It's so interesting the psychology of dogs oh, in definitely. training. Wow, it sounds like you really really understand too what's going on, and and that's really important because sometimes I talk to trainers who really don't seem to understand dog training, and they're just parroting what they've heard in the past and. And a lot of the methods from the past are, are really outdated because behaviorists have learned that these methods don't work anymore and they're not appropriate. They've never been appropriate. They were just somehow accepted by society at the time. And so there's new philosophies and new understandings, and it sounds like you're right up there with it. But the one thing that's never changed is nature herself mm-hmm. and how dogs communicate with each other and seek leaders and followers and know how to set boundaries. But it's done in nature's beautiful, peaceful way, and that's the message. 
Wow, you sound very peaceful as you say that. <laughs> <laughs> Nature makes me peaceful, right? I, I yeah. have a question for you yes. that I know a lot of listeners are constantly struggling with this issue. How do you stop a dog from barking when the doorbell rings or when people come to the house? Well, that's a, that's a complex question and answer. I'm going to try to give you a quick answer. Okay. Much of that barking happens because the dog is um, has no boundaries, no physical and behavioral boundaries. They have they have access to to run back and forth to the dog, back and forth in front of the windows, up and down around the people. I find number one, putting the dog on leash. Okay. <laughs> when the doorbell rings, mm-hmm. have a leash handy, okay. or have the dog dragging a leash if you know someone's coming. Uh-huh. Just the boundaries and the limitations that you give the dog. Again, put the dog in the subordinate role. Wow. And you in the, 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 the leader role. The other thing I do here is I teach dogs to go to their bed, which is about 10 feet away from the, the door, mm-hmm. when the doorbell rings. And I have, until the dog learns to stay there, I have a backup tether, and I tether the dog, mm-hmm. and I make sure they stay there on their pillow so they cannot then, again, bark and jump up on the people that walk in because that sort of feeds the fire, you know. Yeah, I That's my really quick advice, and it works for me. Camilla, what is your website so that our listeners can contact you? The Dog Talk Diva website is, and interestingly enough, dogtalkdiva.com. Okay, that makes it easy. Camilla, it was great to have you on the show today. I'm sure our listeners got a lot out of what you've shared this morning, and I hope you'll come back and visit us again. Thank you so much, Marie. It's been my pleasure. We need to take a short break, but we'll be right back with Pet Place News and Events here on AM 1260. Don't go away. We're back on the Pet Place Radio Show, and it's time for Pet Place News and Events. On Saturday, August 20th, from 11.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m., come out and visit German Shepherd Rescue of Orange County and shake paws with a new friend at the Lake Forest Pet Smart, located at 23602 El Toro Road. German Shepherd Rescue of Orange County has new dogs available each and every week. Come meet their great team of volunteers and their wonderful dogs. Don't forget to pick up some German Shepherd Rescue of Orange County merchandise because that helps all the dogs, too. And for those of you with a sweet tooth, there will also be a yummy bake sale at this event. For more info, visit www.gsroc.org. Okay, that's all for me today. Remember, pets need love and a home, too. We'll be back next weekend here on AM 1260. I'm Marie Hewitt. Please. Stay or new to your pets and have a wonderful day.